When George Lucas began to work on the Star Wars trilogy over 10 years ago, no one suspected that an endearing little creature, something like a teddy bear, would play such a large role in bringing about the defeat of the Empire. Not even George. He always planned that the fateful battle against the technological might of Vader's forces would take place on and around the green moon of Endor. But he thought the inhabitants of that moon would be Wookiees, like Chewbacca, Chewie to his friends. The original concept of the Ewok was that he'd be short and small, sort of a short version of a Wookiee. And uh, Joe Johnston and uh, Phil Tippett worked on designs, I think Nilo worked on the designs also, of... of uh, you know, these small creatures. The original designs were much more human-like, little men. And I wanted to get away from it looking like a man in a furry suit. I wanted it to be a creature unto itself. And in evolving that, more and more fur got put on, and uh, the eyes got bigger, and uh, he became more, more animal-like. And uh, we realized that he was getting to be a very cute creature, a very teddy bear-like creature which first we fought a great deal, but eventually we dared to be cute. Episode number 237 of Blast Points. This is Jason. And this is Gabe. And our legs are so tired, we've been e-walking for five weeks now. <laughs> it's true. This is the final week of Ewok Movie Month. Tonight's continuing fantasy adventure of Sindel and the Ewoks contains some scenes of suspense and jeopardy which may be too intense for very young viewers. Parents are encouraged to watch with their children. Lucasfilm presents The Ewok Adventure next. The tiny forest moon of Endor is home to a race of small furry creatures known as Ewoks. Covered the Caravan of Courage, the Battle for Endor. I think like no one has ever done before, ever. Maybe no one will ever do again. <laughs> but now it is time to talk about the original Ewok movie, Return of the Jedi, because yes, it is also Saga Year. <laughs> Saga 
Converge, Saga Year, Ewok Month. It's all in sync now. It's, it's an eclipse. You gotta wear sunglasses to listen to this episode. It's like the beginning of Fifth Element. When the, doesn't, isn't there an eclipse and then the, the space turtle people show up? <laughs> it's just like that. This week we are talking about the origins of the Ewoks and Dare to be Cute. The motto that changed the world. It's become part of the DNA of Star Wars. What does it really mean? Like the Ewok movies, is there a deeper meaning to just being cute? Are there layers to cuteness? So you you always hear about the Ewoks. People like sometimes call them murder bears. And for the longest time, I kind of resisted that whole like murder bear thing. Where I was like, they're not murder bears. They they're only murdering bad people. But really, you know, the Ewoks kind of are. Like, they were full-on ready to eat Han Solo and Luke Skywalker. (laughs) They were ready to do it. I mean, but we never really think of that during Return of the Jedi, or at least I never did. You know, ask the, the hard questions. Why is that? Why did I never think of them as murder bears? Probably just because, yeah, they're cute. And Lucas, as we're going to get into later in this episode, got a lot of pushback for him demanding and not backing down on the whole idea that the Ewoks had to be cute. (laughs) The Ewoks were integral to Return of the Jedi, and they had to be cute. You couldn't have one without the other. It had to be both. So this guy, Simon May, who's a philosophy professor at King's College in London, wrote a book called The Power of Cute. And in his book, he describes some of the most important cute cues that include behaviors like helplessness, harmlessness, charming, and yielding, and features such as protruding foreheads, saucer-like eyes, retreating chins. And he talks a lot about the whole idea about how Cuteness is the opposite of violence and war and inhumanity. The feeling we see when we see something cute is that natural, like, ah, it's a very human emotion. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And Star Wars in itself is that thing where Star Wars has, as we all know, wars in its name. And as we've said over and over again, the internal wars are where star wars thrives the light and the dark the good and the bad and and the cute versus the cold oppressive nature of actual war thus the ewoks you need to be reminded of the cute thing that you want to protect the thing that you're actually why you're fighting what are you fighting for you're fighting to save the cute if you think of it yeah ewoks at the end of return of the jedi they fit in there brilliantly they're these 
wobbly, almost constantly falling down teddy bears. But they also, as we all know, they are the the secret weapon that helps bring down the whole empire. Well, and they're also kind of another somewhat of a Star Wars twist where they're little and cute and they look like they're not going to hurt anybody other than maybe eating Han Solo. But in the end, everyone underestimates them and they use that to their advantage and ultimately help the rebels win the battle. And an interesting thing, I don't know if you noticed this in some of the quotes in the um, the Making of Jedi book where they talk about the origins of the word Ewok from the Native American tribe, the Miwoks. And the name Miwok means just people. So it is almost uh, the Ewoks are the people rising up to fight the Empire. It makes total sense. And you know, what Lucas said over and over again, where the allegories of the Vietnam War that he was putting in with the Ewoks, it's all right there. It's just in George Lucas style, he just wanted to make them really cute. <laughs> Let's take something kind of maybe grown up or a, a deeper layer to this movie and put the cutest coat of paint on it that you can come up with and kind of distract people from that there is some deeper meaning to this super cute thing, which is a very kind of Star Wars way to do it. The Ewok battle uh, was one of the main uh, inspirations for the whole project when I first started Star Wars, and it evolved out of my interest in a project I'd been working on uh, at the time about the Vietnam War. And uh, one of the more fascinating aspects of that project was the human spirit, the human element, uh, being able to withstand an onslaught of, of uh, uh, high technology and, and how the high technology had failed. When Star Wars has it's continued since Return of the Jedi to have a very close relationship with the cute, with the dare to be cute. I mean, you, you could say that Yoda was cute, maybe, but Yoda wasn't all the way in your face cute. Of course, the Ewoks. I think the I think the original intent of Jar Jar was probably to be cute. <laughs> with Phantom Menace, it's almost I think Jake Lloyd was the cute. Sure, and. Jar Jar was just the weird because I, it, it is kind of fun coming off of Return of the Jedi where it did seem like, and we'll get into it more later, where there was a lot of criticism that, you know, George Lucas just went cute and Star Wars got too cute that really Phantom Menace is a lot less cute than Return of the Jedi other than maybe Jake Lloyd. Like it didn't really dig into the cute as much as some of the other Star Wars movies. But the new, I would say the new era of Star Wars with... BB-8, the Porgs, even Dio, Babu Frick, and of course the big one, the big, big, big one, the Yoda baby. Like the Yoda baby is the ultimate statement in Star Wars Q. And it goes with all the things we were saying before too, but it's just kind of more blatant. Like the Yoda baby is the ultimate because he is helpless, but he's extremely strong. He knows the force. He's got giant eyes. He's... Small, he doesn't even speak. But Yoda Baby also, that same thing, where he is the contrast to kind of the life of the Mandalorian, this harsh, 
dark bounty hunter world. And he's this little thing of cuteness, like you said, to remind you what you're fighting for. But Yoda Baby, in that way, it's very kind of the themes of Dare to be Cute that were in Return of the Jedi. Well, also Yoda Baby carries on the Ewok idea, too, of underneath the cuteness, there is a power that you underestimate because of the cuteness. It's kind of, on one hand, you want to help this thing because it's cute, but on the other hand, it's not as helpless as its cuteness leads you to believe. And there's there's a power in that, in underestimating and people underestimating you. And like with the Ewoks and the Yoda baby, one of the things that makes Dare to be Cute and the whole cuteness thing kind of feel so at home in Star Wars, especially is Star Wars has the power to make these cute things real. Like it's not, you know, a Hello Kitty cartoon or something. Yeah. The Ewoks seem real. Yoda baby seems like a real like a real thing. In Disney Gallery, when they showed like how they made the puppet work, it was it was cool because we all wondered, but also it was kind of like I just also want to believe that he's real. <laughs> he's got to be real. He's too cute not to be. But that adds to a certain layer of, of believing in the ridiculousness of it and the whole the cuteness versus the harshness whole thing that Star Wars kind of feeds into. And Lucas knew all this. He knew what he was doing. Like as as we're going to be talking about, he never backed down in the face of everyone telling him this was the dumbest idea in the world. Why are you putting these Ewoks in this movie? Or probably people telling him, why are you making two more movies about the Ewoks? He never let up on the idea. I had to make certain changes to things because in the original screenplay, the, the Ewoks were Wookiees and, and Chewbacca really wasn't the co-pilot. So, um, and so when I did the first film, I loved the Wookiees so much, I said, well, I gotta get a Wookiee in here, even though, because those may never get done. So I took the Wookiee out of the battles and made him the co-pilot. Uh, because originally they were sort of a primitive race of people who couldn't fly or couldn't do anything. And, because uh, that was the whole point. And, um, so I had to sort of, I had to figure out how I was going to do Wookiees, and I basically cut them in half and called them Ewoks. But it was, it was, um, you know, a lot of that stuff is all, all there. But in the, in the original, it was a ground battle and an air battle altogether. So the roots of the Ewoks, you could probably trace back to about the fall of 1980, like right after. The release of Empire Strikes Back, George Lucas is working hard away, tucked in some room somewhere on Return of the Jedi's early drafts. And what in this very first drafts, there's the Ewaks, who are known as the Friends of the Yuzum. Well, and they might still be called Ewoks, just spelled. It's hard to know with spelling if it's a if it's a two pronunciation Star Wars word or if this is a case of a single pronunciation with two different spellings. Naboo, Naboo, Shmi, Shmi. You just you never know. Ewok with an O, Ewok with an A. Well, in this rough draft, Leia's encounter with the Ewok or Ewak, depending on where you're from, is the is still named Wicket. And it's described in the the rough draft as a strange little furry creature with huge yellow eyes. He speaks in a funny language made up of squeaks and barks. 
So Wicket takes Leia to the village. They go through a small cave that opens up into a large cavern. Leia meets Tebow, Chipa, the gray-haired chief, and Logre, the medicine man. So yeah, even in the rough draft, Lucas knew what was going on with the Ewoks here. <laughs> it's got to be Logre. Trip, I'm not, I'm not changing a damn thing. It's all right here in my notes. So Logre starts chanting, and this has a hypnotic effect on Leia. The medicine man stands before her. Wicket and Tebow pin her against the ground while Logre inspects her teeth, eyes, and ears. He then hands Leia a bowl of ugly-looking brew. She tastes it and drinks the whole thing. Everyone cheers, and the celebration begins to welcome Leia as a new member of the tribe. I think I've been to a party like that. Super interesting, too, that the name Endor and the general ideas like we see there of Return the Jedi's third act never, ever changed. And Endor was always there, and it was named after a town that appears in the Old Testament, which is the home of a witch that Saul consults on the eve of the Battle of Bilboa. So in the Old Testament— Endor is kind of, you know, a representation of magic and this magical place that moves you to the next thing before on the eve of a battle. So if it is kind of this representation of magic, it just makes total sense that later as he continued these stories with these little teddy bears, that it got more and more fantasy. It's all part of that whole thing. And it's Elves and fairies and creatures that you can't tell if they're dangerous or they're helpful, and it kind of depends on the people who's asking for help. Well, and the and the the fairies and the and the wisties and magic all kind of carry on into the future of Star Wars with the wills and the episodes and Clone Wars with the with the balls of light, Mortis, and all the very mystical magical stuff that came later, kind of still came from its beginnings in Return of the Jedi with this this planet of magic. Well, and even like we talked about in last week, too, the whole fact that in a way, kind of in a sideways kind of way, the Night Sisters, which is a very magical kind of thing, still related to the Force, is kind of connected to Battle for Endor. Again, just this breeding place of fantasy and magic on Endor. You sort of realize that these would be good allies. Uh So what you're going to do is make them allies. So you're just going to sort of play along, wait until your moment, and you're going to... It's very telling that I let them take my weapons. There's a moment there where I could either strike out or or relax. Well, you've got a sense of the future. You've got a sense of the fact that it's these little funny teddy bears that could destroy the Empire. Uh It's always in a fairy tale. Huh? It's oh. always being nice to the little bunny rabbit on the side of the road that gives you the magic that makes you go and uh-huh. princess evil witch. And it blew my mind, too, thinking that in all of Return of the Jedi, the name Ewok is never said once. You just feel it in your heart. I feel like we all went into that movie knowing, yeah, the Ewoks. There they all are. Yeah. Well, that's kind of like with the Porgs. Yeah. We went in knowing what porgs are, but I don't think anyone says porgs. <laughs> no, Luke is never like, these are the porgs. <laughs> Chewie might say porgs, but we can't understand him. So, But that's, you know, that's such a Star Wars thing of there's this new thing that you're obsessed with and it has a name that you know before the movie comes out, but it never, no one ever calls it that or says it. 
just how it always is. I love this thing. I know what it's called, but nobody, no one in the movie knows what it's called. <laughs> so in the second draft, the Ewoks uh, become the Yuzum. And then finally, in the third draft, they are officially the Ewoks. And something I thought was interesting, too, in the third draft, there's a note that Lucas made that says, battle between Yoda and the Emperor, question mark. Hmm. Wonder if we'll ever see that someday. So around this time, what, Joe Johnson and Ralph McQuarrie are busy working on some amazing Ewok concept art. And Joe Johnston's kind of doing just like little fuzzy balls with faces. And it's interesting, McQuarrie's stuff he's doing is much more animal-like, where his Ewok concepts look like birds kind of more with like long snooty noses. And what even Nilo is doing concept art and... He's doing a whole thing where, like, what if the Ewoks are just birds in trees? Yeah, he was really caught up on the idea of the Ewoks being in t- trees to the point where he was trying to convince Lucas that the the Ewoks should always be in the trees and just be wa- observing the battle and not actually being in the battle. Like, it's it's funny that, like, all the way back to the very beginning, just how no one seemed to be on the same wavelength as George with this whole concept of Ewoks and and what they are and what they would be. And it kind of reminds me of the concepts of, of Yoda in a way too, where you look at the stuff and you're like, this is all really cool, but where's, where's Yoda. And then when you finally see Yoda, you're like, okay, there's Yoda. And it's kind of with the Ewoks. You're like, all this stuff is cool, but it's not Ewoks. And then when you finally see that one that looks like an Ewok, it's like, yes, that's the one. (laughs) But you can totally, I mean, imagine all there is is Star Wars and the Empire Strikes Back. Because like we said in the beginning, now Dare to be Cute is part of the design philosophy of Star Wars. Like, the Ewoks walked so Baby Yoda could run. <laughs> it's all, But at the time, there were no cute creatures. There were no cute aliens. Like, everything was kind of weird. Ugnaughts and Greedos and stuff and sand people. And then you just imagine, I mean, we were kids, but... So we were fine with it, but you imagine kind of like, hey, you know what else is an alien in Star Wars? Teddy bears. But they're kind of dirty teddy bears. <laughs> it's like a teddy bear you found in the alley. They're wearing skulls on their head and stuff. Yeah. They're like teddy bears that would smoke cigarettes. So in, in Rinsler's Making of Return of the Jedi book, there's yeah a whole fascinating part where they're talking about yeah the fact that even people like Joe Johnston, like, were kind of like, what are we doing with these Ewoks here? Like, what is this? And his quote in Rinsler's book is, the first thing George said was, they're little furry guys. They carry spears and they run through the woods. We did 300 drawings of little furry guys running through the woods. A lot of them were troll-like or gnomes and all kinds of little things. But George came in and said, okay, guys, this isn't working. Let's make them cuter. So we did another hundred sketches. We found that if we added ears to them, they became much more expressive. Maybe some of them had cute little faces, puppy dog faces. He picked up the puppy dog one and said, that's looking pretty good. Do more like this. And then it just it just escalates from there, right, to where he says, I kind of picked up the direction he was heading, and I did one so cute it looked like the teddy bear's picnic. It had little ears and was wearing a little bonnet. George came in the next day and said, that's it. We'll kill him with cuteness. Try them all cute. He knew what he wanted. And what he wanted was cute. 
It's what he'd been missing for two movies. Where is the cute? So one person that really didn't really get the Ewoks, didn't really care for him, unfortunately, was Ralph McQuarrie, where it kind of came to a head where he just wasn't interested in the Ewoks. Yeah, there's a quote from Craig Barron saying, Ralph was a very opinionated because he's a fantastic storyteller, and so he didn't always agree with George, but sometimes he would lose interest in something. And he says he remembers specifically when the Ewoks started to become very much like teddy bears, that there was a feeling from Ralph that it maybe was too obvious of a marketing thing. And Ralph McQuarrie himself was quoted as saying, I looked at what we were doing, and my own feeling was I would like to have them more animal-like, more sinewy and lifelike. They were starting to look teddy bear-like, and I wasn't for that. So they gave, I gave them three or four drawings that I thought were right on and said, that's it. Now, if you don't like those, I'm out of this competition. And kind of was. He really didn't, for all the wonderful designs we got out of Ralph McQuarrie for Star Wars, he kind of was, what, at his limit of what he could take with the teddy bears. And he'd been working on Star Wars for forever at that point, so... By summer of 1981, Macquarie had left. and I mean, it's it's easy to look at it more as like this. the scandalous answer was he hated the Ewoks and didn't want to be involved in Return of the Jedi, which, you know, there could be some truth in that. But I also, yeah, totally get him being completely burned out with carrying a new hope in The Empire Strikes Back, the art department, like on his shoulders and the look of this whole universe. It's a lot, and you get burned out. I mean, we went to art school. We know. <laughs> you, you get, after doing it for a while, you're just like, I can't do it anymore. <laughs> don't make me draw anything. I still don't like to draw anymore <laughs> because I went to art school. <laughs> it's like homework now. What happened? You know? Well, and he was associated with Star Wars as almost as long as George Lucas. Like, he was like... There at the very beginning, before there was even a movie to make, so like he he did his time in the in the Star Wars trenches, and, and I could see if he wasn't if his heart wasn't in a design, then you know it was it was time for him to move on. There's a great quote from from Nilo here in Rinsler's book where he says there was an afternoon where we all gathered months after Ralph actually stopped coming, and George made a point of thanking Ralph in front of everyone. Ralph stood up and said, I was one of the first people George hired because Ralph is an unbelievably humble man. George got up and said, no, you are the first one. I kind of feel like my life is, is not going to last forever. And if I'm not really happy doing that, I should think about what I want to do and do it rather than just make money. And that's where I'm at now. I'm, uh, I'd like to, to do the work that I'm actually doing, which is making a cabinet. <laughs> but it's going to be a rather charming cabinet and uh, have painting on it. You know, my artwork will be there. It's all integrated in this object. And it interests me a great deal to make things in 3D. Uh, Same with the wood right now. Wood, yeah. Mm -hmm. Which is fun. And it just sort of absorbs me. It, it's, uh, I feel better. I'm anxious to go to work. Get up, go, and make this thing. So adding to the list of people that did not get the Ewoks, 
it's pretty much everyone else working on the movie. I think especially Lawrence Kasdan, King Grump himself. He did not get the Ewoks. And there is, yeah, in Renzer's book, there's some amazing story conferences where they're trying to break down the story of Return of the Jedi. And they have some harsh words about the Ewoks there. So what we're going to do here is we're going to read a little bit of the story conference. And uh, playing the part of Lawrence Kasdan will be Gabe. And I will be playing the part of Howard Howard Kazanjian, and George Lucas will be playing George Lucas. We begin with Lawrence Kasdan in typical Kasdan style, telling everybody at the table how he feels. I think that we have to break out of here somehow and think of a simpler idea. Maybe get rid of the Ewoks. I, I know they're the things that are causing trouble. Let me ask you a question, just for five minutes. Pretend the Ewoks don't exist. What would we accomplish? Then you have a giant hole in the script that we have to fill with new ideas. I will tell you why the Ewoks are a problem. Because they are the third point. Instead of going from Jabba to your end confrontation, you have to fit them in and they are always going to be oblique. Unless you're going to blow up their planet. Which we're never going to do. I'm telling you that the key is to stick Luke into the center of this in an effective way so that in fulfilling his destiny, he helps the rebellion to defeat the empire. That is what we are not doing. There has to be some transfer of power from the emperor to Luke. That would be very poetic in terms of your whole story. That would be the perfect thing. If you had a moment when all these Imperial guys see Luke take over, that would be a real Olympian conclusion to this trilogy. Explain that further. Luke usurps all the power of the Emperor in their final confrontation and is recognized as the ultimate power in the galaxy. This goes on for a while. Where they, you get Kasdan's crazy ideas that Luke should take over as the Emperor and all this stuff. But for, yeah, for a hot minute there, everyone's kind of in agreement except for Lucas. Hey, what would happen if we just took the Ewoks out of the story? Where, you know, I was thinking really long and hard about this, like, what if the Ewoks weren't in the story? Could you still have Return of the Jedi? Like, really, I know it hurts our souls and our brains and our hearts to think about a Return of the Jedi without Ewoks. I don't know what we would have done this whole month. <laughs> we would have had a month off. But really, could you? Could you have a movie where they just weren't in there? I mean, like Lucas said, you'd have to fill it with maybe something else. Yeah, because you could if you cut all the Ewoks stuff out and just had rebels sneaking onto Endor to blow up the shield generator and the battle at the end is just rebels versus Imperial troops, it kind of works, but you kind of miss some of the, the star Wars magic. I like, I can't imagine return of the Jedi without the kind of side story in the middle with the Ewoks where you kind of lose the main story for a little bit. And I know that that's something that not everyone enjoys, but it is funny hearing them talk about, especially Kazan, about like the third point. Because in a way, that kind of is Return of the Jedi, where there's this Java part at the beginning that really is the end of Empire. It's like they finish Empire with the Java stuff, and then the movie starts over with this mission to the Death Star, and then they end up on Endor, and it's kind of... With the Ewoks, the movies the movie starts over in a way. Well, and if you take that out, I mean, you still have 
all the wonderfulness of Luke versus Vader in the throne room, and I'm a Jedi like my father before me, and you know the redemption of Anakin Skywalker and all that stuff. That's great, but you didn't know the redemption of Anakin Skywalker in 1983. Having the Ewoks in there is kind of what part of makes great Star Wars great, where it's the metaphor. It's it means something. On the surface, it's these teddy bears with spears and throwing rocks and s- jumping around and singing and hugging people. But also, yeah, it's all the stuff we talked about in the beginning. It's dare to be cute, and it's a reference to something from the Old Testament, and it's the home of magic, and it's it's fantasy. It's it's the, it's the fairies. It's the trolls. It's the fantastical element that you don't know that you can trust or not. It's. It's the magic helping our heroes along the way. And that was, and like we said, it was something Lucas would never even entertain the idea of getting rid of because he knew the story and his story had to have that Star Wars level of something else going on that the best Star Wars does. Yeah, because it's also the all the Vietnam analogies carrying over from the rebels in a new hope being representative of the war in Vietnam and then carrying on completely to a a more primitive force in the jungle, taking on the more technologically superior force and, and triumphing like it's yeah. Another layer to what's going on. If you want to dig and look for the analogies. And also it ties in, I think to R2 and 3PO wandering in the desert. Like it's just, get let's just get weird for a little bit like we run into this tribe of teddy bears and let's just see where it goes like that's again calling back to you know return of the jedi is a lot more maybe like a new hope than than empire in a way where it's not afraid to just kind of ramble on and and just be weird for a bit and we love it for that (laughs) (laughs) so then they're getting close to filming there's all kinds of problems where Stuart freeborn studio was supposed to be building what Ewoks, Jabba, and a new Yoda at the same time, and like nothing's happening because Stuart Freeborn could only work in like the middle of the night after he woke up or something. Something crazy. And then when they finally do have the costumes, what they they're in the UK and there's all kinds of problems with screen testing them. They're in the snow and the e- the actors inside the Ewok suits, the eyes are fogging up constantly. Right? There's all kinds of problems. Yeah, they can't see. I think it's the first screen test they realize that they can't get the heads on and off easy enough. So they have to put a seam in the back of the head, which is why they end up having their hoods that they wear. Because that covers up the seam to get the head off quickly. They find out, I want to say, I don't remember if it's maybe the second or third test footage they take. They realize the soles of their feet are too thick so that they can't, they weren't able to actually walk on the the wooden bridges in the village because they're like rubber underneath their feet was too thick. Like there was just every time they would do a test, they were just finding more and more things they had to, to fix with the costumes. Also it's neat how these tests kind of informed how they ultimately looked visually too, that there were some like wrinkles and loose fabric. And that's one of the reasons that they decided to put the belts and all the gear that the Ewoks wore to kind of cover up some of the, like looseness of the costume, but then that turned into a very distinctive visual feature of the Ewoks where they gave each Ewok a different pouch or belt or bandolier or that sort of thing. And one big thing is that Lucas really wanted the Ewoks to blink. (laughs) 
And there was work going on where Stuart Freeborn was trying to figure out how to get the Ewoks to blink. I mean, we know George Lucas finally got his wish way off in 2011 with the the Blu-ray, where finally we had blinking Ewoks. And then, yeah, in the Ewok, what, Caravan of Courage, they, they do have eyelids when they're sleeping. So we almost got there then, but... But it was part of the whole thing that he wanted them to feel more real. Like we were saying, like part of selling the cute is this isn't a cartoon character. This is a real living thing. And they, for George Lucas, that was blinking. Come on, sit down. I promise I won't hurt you. Now come here. All right. You want something to eat? Body language was equally important to the character of the Ewok. It had to move as if it were still unspoiled by man's scientific advances, like an animal. Come on. Hmm? An attempt was made to articulate the jaws and eyes of some of the creatures. Latex masks, later covered with fur, became one part of an unusual six-part suit. The head, the body proper, fitted over a sculpted foam rubber frame, two hands, and two feet. But building Ewoks was sort of like putting a bicycle together on Christmas Eve. Stuart Freeborn discovered they did not work the way he planned. Along with producer Howard Cassandian, he was faced with too much roly, too much poly. Overfurred and overfoamed, the Ewoks found it difficult to move. Freeborn had to redesign the Ewoks' feet, making them softer, more flexible. So April 1982, filming for all the Endor locations begins, and they, they kept all the Ewok actors like separated and separated from the rest of the cast because, what was it, just the year before, a lot of the actors who were playing Ewoks were in uh, Under the Rainbow, the Chevy Chase, Carrie Fisher making of Wizard of Oz movie where there, I guess there were a lot of shenanigans going on with the, the cast for Under the Rainbow and they didn't want to have something like that for a Star Wars movie. So they kept everyone separated. Um, Wicket was going to be played by Kenny Baker, but he got sick and had to be played by a uh, very young Warwick Davis. And it was Warwick Davis who incorporated using his tongue in the performance of Wicket, which is such in now, like just part of the Ewok thing. And it kind of sells the Ewok as being living things. Uh, like if he couldn't get the blinking kind of Warwick Davis's little tongue in there. That's an important thing that happened. That's a huge change to Return of the Jedi that I don't think we think about enough is how Warwick Davis could not could have not been Wicket and how different a character Wicket would have been and how potentially less cute he might have been if it was Kenny Baker and played by an older gentleman instead of this crazy little kid. Yeah, because Wicket has such a distinctive kind of floppy arm, like little kid-like way he runs and moves. And like Wicket really does seem like the the child Ewok he's supposed to be. Yeah. And one, and it's, it's, a very Star Wars thing too, because it's part of the reason Chewbacca is Chewbacca and is so endearing is he walks like Peter Mayhew and there's a little awkwardness to his walk that really makes him feel like a real creature because he's 
literally a real human being inside. And with Wicked, it's the same sort of thing. Like you can tell it's Wicked by the way he walks because that's really how Warwick Davis kind of walks. And it's like it, it all of a sudden gives this little teddy bear this character and personality that, you know, another person in the suit might not have given them and might not have come across as cute because really Wicket is the baby Yoda of the Ewoks. He is the cutest one other than when they show like real baby, baby Ewoks. Cause the rest of the Ewoks, like they're kind of, kind of gross. And I mean, they're teddy bears, but if you look at them too close, they're like, they're, they're like kind of dirty compared to Wicket. Who's just this bright eyed little kid. Yeah, a lot of the other Ewoks are like dirty hippies. Yeah. <laughs> If Kenny Baker would have played Wicked, nothing against Kenny Baker, love Kenny Baker, but we wouldn't just have Warwick Davis as just kind of this part of Star Wars. Like when Warwick Davis shows up like in Solo, you know, on opening night and the crowd cheers or him being the host of the main stage at Celebration. Everyone loves Warwick Davis. We probably wouldn't have had Willow. Right. George Lucas would have thought of it, but it would have never went anywhere if Warwick Davis had not have been Wicket. If there wasn't Willow, we may not even be alive today. So (laughs) we may have walked into Lake Michigan and just swam away, never to return. But there were all kinds of hijinks on the set with the Ewok cast, though, right? (laughs) Yeah, it's funny that they tried to not have there be trouble and the Ewok crew just could not resist the pranks and having fun at other people's expense who was the guy who got the worst of it he was like the ewok wrangler was his uh, was his job production assistant ian bryce in Rinzer's book, there's a quote from Warwick Davis where he says, My favorite incident was a dastardly plan hatched by the entire Ewok cast. We donned our costumes and bombarded the canteen with water bombs just as the stars and crew were having lunch. And then they're talking about Jack Purvis and his highly flammable Ewok suit found a way to appear menacing and cleared the space around him by smoking a big cigar. They sent a letter to Ian, I believe, where they said that they've had it, they're tired of this, and they've all left, and they went, they're on their way to the airport. And he says how he's like a, was a 24-year-old kid at the time. He thought he was going to lose his job, and he's like, I gotta find, get the Ewoks back. And he goes and gets on a bus to like go to the airport, and it breaks down. And he's like trapped in this bus with his walkie-talkie, and he like can't get a signal. And after a while of freaking out, he finally gets a signal on the walkie-talkie and he hears all the Ewok actors laughing because they apparently hid in the woods. <laughs> so everyone thought they were gone and waited till he left to come out. Yeah, they were all wearing T-shirts that said Revenge of the Ewoks. <laughs> yeah. so. Another huge part of making the Ewoks real was the Ewokies' language. And who else could make that happen but the one and only ben burt (laughs) and ben burt being ben burt got the 80 year old mongolian woman that they nicknamed grandma vodka yeah if if you remember from our sounds of return of the jedi episode i think uh there's some ben burt stories about grandma vodka and her incredible ewok voice Working with the Ewoks, those teddy bear-like creatures who befriend the Rebel Alliance, was another problem. There was no voice for the human characters, such as Carrie Fisher here, to 
to react to. She would just be playing the scene and imagining this character would be talking to her. I promise I won't hurt you. Now, come here. All right. You want something to eat? This voice is a combination of a human voice and various animal sounds, which we've recorded also. With the Ewoks, with R2, which is even more an abstract case where it's electronic sound, our principal responsibility is to come up with a sound which will create a given emotional response in the audience. And if you can't get enough of the Ewok language, if you track down Ben Burt's wonderful galactic phrasebook and travel guide, there is a whole chapter on visiting Endor and talking to Ewoks. And there's some great Ewok phrases if you want to learn in case you run into any Ewoks and you want to impress them with your, your Ewokies. A good one is to make sure you know the difference between yub nub and yub yub. Yub nub is how Ewoks say hooray, but yub yub is let's go. It's a common misconception. You hear people say yub yub, you hear people say yub nub. What's the difference? A big difference. Hooray, let's go. Totally different things. If somebody like, hey, I'm coming over to your place and I'm bringing pizza, you don't want to say let's go because then they'd be like, well, I'm coming there with pizza. You want to say hooray. You say the wrong thing, a whole night's ruined. Well, and the Ewoks might eat you if you say the wrong thing, so... You bring pizza, yeah, to the Ewok village, and then they eat you, and then no one eats the pizza. It's a tragic event. Now, probably the most important phrase to know in Ewok is, Allelu Tanuv, celebrate the love. It's beautiful. <laughs> Look for our Alenu Yanuv t-shirts coming very soon. <laughs> now, Ewokese, I, I heard that it is... Uh, Tibet, Tibetan backwards. I get up at seven to watch the today show. <laughs> they got it on tape, maybe. Um, so. No, it's it's not backwards. Nothing's backwards. Um, it's you started out by recording people that spoke Tibetan, mostly old ladies, and uh, then developing, taking, sort of stealing words from Tibetan and uh, Nepalese and Kalmuk, all languages from that part of the world. Um, Why did you pick that part of the world? Well, I was looking for something that was exotic. You always look for a real language, at least I do, because it has the reality behind it. If you tend to make up a language, you tend to make up a language just based on the sounds in English. You don't tend to think. At least it's harder for me to imagine sounds that I don't use every day. So instead of having sort of a mumbo-jumbo English language, it's easier to listen to some other language first and get inspired by it. And essentially do sort of a pigeon version of it, you know, sort of a double-talk version of it. And uh, that's always what's been done with, you know, Hatties and Iwakis. It's a pick. Find a basic language that was... It's a real language has all those aspects of reality about it. It has lots of information and it repeats certain... There's a structure to it that repeats naturally and all that. And it's easier to do that, sort of start with that basis than to invent something on a, not a, you know, from scratch. So, I suppose that's why it sounds real, because it is based on reality. Yeah, well, it's important that the, you, you can sense a culture behind it. You know, uh, the average person spends their whole life listening to language, and you become very good at drawing an immediate sort of uh, 
you know portrait of reality or you make a lot of judgments based on what a person says to you and how they say it and and uh, so the average person you have to have something pretty real to convince them it sounds real so filming is done they're starting to do cuts of the film lucas puts together what is called his the fine cut which is different than the director's cut that marquan put together there's a quote from editor Sean Barton talking about when they're they're working on the ground battle and um, space battle and sword fight and everything at the end. George is quoted as saying he wanted much more Ewok business, cute things. Come on, my cute. The cuteness did not die down after filming. The mantra was still there. Kill him, yeah, kill him with cuteness, Ewok business, cute things. That's what Return of the Jedi needs. So then it goes on to what to ILM where they're trying to make sense of all the stuff on Endor. And even they, like everyone else through the entire production of Return of the Jedi, are a little bit confused on what's going on here. Yeah, it seems like the same issues that the concept guys had with getting their heads wrapped around this cuteness business, what's going on with Ewoks. People at ILM were starting to see dailies, uh, effects cameraman Scott. Far says, uh, one day someone says, hey, I hear they're running some dailies from London. Let's go look. And it's all these black and white rough cuts of these little teddy bears on these fake trees. We come out of there and we go, my God, what are we involved with? What is this movie? (laughs) So not everyone was discouraged. Longtime ILMer Bill George goes on to say that when we were working on E.T., the first thing I ever saw of the creature was this black and white photograph. I looked at the photograph and I went, that is the ugliest, most ridiculous looking thing I have ever seen. (laughs) So when I first saw the designs of the Ewoks, I thought, now, wait a minute, we've got to give these things a chance. But that does bring up a good kind of the synergy of cuteness of buddies Lucas and Spielberg kind of feeding off each other. Dennis Murin has a great quote about that, where he feels like, Yoda was the inspiration for E.T., and in turn, E.T. was George's inspiration for the Ewoks, and that there's kind of a an evolution of cuteness there. Because Yoda's not really cute, but he's kind of borderline. E.T.'s kind of ugly like Yoda, but he's cuter than Yoda. And then Ewoks, Lucas takes it to the extreme, faster, more intense, and goes full-on cute. Oh, yeah, totally. I mean, you think of E.T., like the big eyes, and E.T. was kind of helpless and had to be protected. And much like Baby Yoda, E.T. had powers and was strong and wise, but also kind of like a little goofy person, you know? (laughs) So finally, Return of the Jedi is about to come out. And like we said, everyone kind of assumed Lucas was just maybe doing this to sell more toys, which he openly admits he wanted something Star Wars for his young daughter Amanda to play with. And he was adamant that there be an Ewok soft toy. And Howard Rothman, who later went on uh, to become the head of Lucas Licensing, said, yeah, George had a baby girl, and he wanted something Amanda could play with from Star Wars, but it was a thankless task trying to convince the licensees that Star Wars shouldn't just be for boys. 
for Kenner, it was a complete anathema because they were in the toy business. They understood gender differentiation very well. They were afraid it would turn off the boys and that it really wouldn't appeal to girls. <laughs> oh, jeez. <laughs> That's... But it's just fascinating that, like, this whole thing, even in 1983, like, yeah. You know what's bad when George Lucas himself can barely get them to make a plush toy for his daughter. (laughs) This is, and this isn't, this is like, they're the third movie in. Like, it's this, this is peak George Lucas being George Lucasness. They go on to say merchandisers were very reluctant to go along with it. This is George Lucas. I want my daughter to have one. That's what I care about. If nobody else wants one, that's fine with me. A lot of people are going to be offended by Ewoks. A lot of people say the films are just an excuse for merchandising. Lucas decided to cash in on the teddy bear. Well, it's not a great thing to cash in on because there are a lot of teddy bears marketed. So you don't have anything that's unique. If I were designing something original as a market item, I could do a lot better. Again, people tend to look at merchandising as an evil thing. But ultimately, a lot of fun things come out of it. And at the same time, it pays for the overhead of the company and everyone's salary. Ooh, that's a Lucas burn right there. <laughs> yeah. Eventually, yeah, Kenner did give in and they made the Ewok plush dolls. And then when the cartoon came out, you know, they made a whole Ewok line, of course. And then Sid Gannis, who was at the time the senior vice president of Lucasfilm, He had an interesting quote here saying, I'll tell you what was totally successful about marketing the Ewoks, letting our audience know that something special was coming and not yet revealing what. Not revealing what that something was special until the appointed moment and then bringing it on the scene. We successfully built the Ewoks into something that was going to be important to the saga and then we sprung it. Now, what does that sound like? (laughs) It's been so long since we've seen Star Wars do something like that. Everything about the Ewok way, the pattern, the the, the philosophy of it, the the reveal of the Ewoks that they did in 1983, you can see it done all over again with Yoda Baby. And thankfully, you know, no one's worried that Yoda Baby isn't going to appeal to boys but anymore. We've evolved as a society where now it's understood that everyone loves this this stuff. Everybody loves space babies. But it is interesting that the the next time they really went heavy on revealing the new thing at the last minute is when they went full on Dare to be Cute and kind of took the anticipation and surprise to the next level by having it be just the absolute cutest thing you've ever seen. Well, and I mean, like Baby Yoda, the Ewoks worked. The movie came out. Kids loved the Ewoks. Grownups loved the Ewoks. There were grownups that hated the Ewoks, but there were a lot of people who thought the Ewoks were great. There was like they did the the little questionnaires that people would fill out after they saw Return of the Jedi and and People were putting down the Ewoks with their new favorites characters like they were a popular thing. I loved them as a as a child and as an adult, obviously, we're still talking about them. But there's a great quote from 2012 from Sid Gainis. He talks about how his nine-year-old grandson, Isaac, can't get enough of them. 
and they're from 1983, so almost 30 years ago. It has nothing to do with me. He is absolutely charmed by the Ewoks. He knows all about them and their history. The Ewoks are in his consciousness. You know, time only proves George Lucas right that he knew what the kids want. And kids now, all these years later, they see Return of the Jedi and they're hooked and they love it. And part of the reason is the Ewoks. My son, Return of the Jedi, is still his favorite Star Wars movie because he loves the Ewoks. They're like the sweet spot between they're cute yet cool and they're tough enough to be cool, but they're cute enough to be cuddly. Like they're just little George Lucases. <laughs> hey, it's true. In the end, like as always, Lucas was 10, 20 years ahead of everyone. He knew what everyone would want when they didn't know they wanted it. He dared to be cute. Cute is here to stay in Star Wars forever. Like we said, it's part of the DNA of Star Wars. It seems like it's something, you know, when, when people are making that Star Wars chili, it's, it's one of the spices people add just to make something feel more Star Wars. Something's, you know, a little cute alien, whether it's Return of the Jedi or the Ewok movies or the Ewok cartoon or anything Ewoks are here to stay and any of the stigma of the the Ewoks don't belong in return of the Jedi I, I I don't know how much of that even still exists anymore if they if it does exist I don't want to hear about it <laughs> <laughs> dare to be cute it's not just words that he said it's a lifestyle if hidden somewhere on George Lucas's body is a tattoo it probably says dare to be cute Return of the Jedi at Highland Mall was at 11 this morning, but the line you see winding around three sides of the theater started forming at 10 for the 140 show. That's how the movie is being received here in Austin on this premiere day. The Return of the Jedi is the third flick of a nine-part series. Its predecessors have broken attendance records and have been highly lucrative for creator George Lucas. The first Star Wars grossed over $300 million, second only to E.T., but the real critics of any film are the moviegoers who pay the cash to get in. It was great. People were just cheering and screaming and yelling and clapping. I answered a lot of questions, but not all of them. There's enough to keep you wanting more. I'm a new woman. <laughs> it's the truth. Good prevails. We will all conquer. It's very good. No, it, it was definitely the greatest science fiction movie ever made. I mean, I was right in there. I mean, Lucas... Total genius all the way. The sound, the visual. I. It was a total experience. I mean, it's sort of like Star Wars. You want to go see it over and over again. Well, that's it for Ewok Movie Month. Five weeks of nonstop Ewok talk. I'm for everyone that has stayed with us. I don't know. I think we're, we're so grateful if we've inspired you to go and rewatch. Caravan of Courage or Bell for Endor. Or I think there were there there was an eBay spike of copies of the the Ewok movies, the DVD selling again this month. Which, if we had a, a hand in people revisiting some Ewok love this month, I don't know. I think we're uh, we're pretty grateful for that. 
And we got to thank everyone that uh, that helped, that made art, that shared the hashtag. Uh, thank you to Marie Claire for coming on and doing our mythology of the Ewok movie episode that my mind is still reeling from. Thanks to Brandon at Talking Bay for sharing his interview with Nikki Patello with us to get some teak knowledge. Thank you to everyone that sent in their their voice messages last week for why they love the the Ewok films. I don't know. It's it's been a crazy year, and if there's ever been a year that needs more Ewoks, this is this is the time for more Ewoks. And it was a good month to just lose yourself in the world, the magical world of Endor. Yes, yes that that is the truth. <laughs> That's the truth. Sometimes you just need to hug your little furry buddies. Well, in our final winner of the Ewok Movie Month giveaway, the final winner of the the Nerd Matters created Ewok Movie card back and sticker is Jesse Lockwood. He's on Instagram, R2D2, where are you? I I feel like all month long he's been working on this Battle for Endor art project and i feel like every week we get updates and i was further refining it and i love that after the episode we did with marie claire from what the force he changed the kind of placement a little bit to kind of make sindel a little bigger or something <laughs> like after hearing about the heroine's journey and stuff which i loved jesse we love what you're doing over there with that uh, battle for endor illustration and we're going to be sending out uh, a little prize pack for you yeah, and again, thank you everyone who made something, did something, thought about Ewoks, danced, cooked, told stories, knitted, whatever. It wouldn't have been Ewok Month without all of you. Biker Scout reports, all quiet at the security field. That shield and guard's gotta go. I'll cause a diversion. Han Solo, new Chief Chirpa, Logre, and Biker Scout, each sold separately from Star Wars Revenge of the Jedi Collection. Yaha! Why, you little Ewok? Now's our chance, Logre! Let's go! Let the rock roll! Direct hit! That's what happens when their guard lets them down. Han Solo, new Chief Chirpa, Biker Scout, and Logre action figures, each sold separately from Star Wars Revenge of the Jedi Collection. From Kenner. And these blast points, too accurate for sand people. Only Imperial stormtroopers are so precise. You know, like we say every single week, Apple Podcast Reviews, if you listen on some sort of Apple something. When you're done listening to this episode, go over there, write us a little review, say something nice, and we'll read your review on an upcoming show. And make sure you check out our website, blastpointspodcast.com, and follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And if you're on Facebook, you better be in the Super Chill Group. It is Blast Points all the time, and it's the best place to be on Facebook. I hear Jedi Club might be coming back sometime in the near future. That's 
That's the word on the street. I don't know. And if you want to support the show in a different way, we've got the Blast Points Army over there on Patreon, where we've got tons of bonus episodes on there of all of our old Mandalorian recaps, Clone Wars, Disney Gallery. And we got to give a big thank you to our new member of the Blast Points Army this month, TJ. Thank you, TJ, for signing up for the Blast Points Army. Hope you're digging some of the bonus stuff. Yeah, we got uh, something new, possibly already out. We did an all-listener questions episode, and that was a lot of fun. And that should be out, if not already, very soon. Yeah, but that about wraps up episode number 237 here. Saga year, the final Ewok movie month. Dare to be cute. Again, I'm pretty proud of our work we did with Ewok movie month. I feel like I feel like we accomplished something. I think so, and I think it was a good warm up for the return of cute in just a few weeks with Mandalorian season two, getting us all getting our cute cuteness all warmed up. And you're going to want to tune in next week because it's going to be an interview episode with a very very sweet person, and it's a it's it's a conversation kind of all about quality, value, and convenience. We know what it's going to be, and we know it's a good one. So you're definitely going to want to check it out. <laughs> so until then, everybody, thank you for listening. Bye-bye. May the force be with you. Goodbye, old friend. May the force be with you. Cute. May the force be.